that, isn't it? Uh, in your booklet, uh, the one for 21 days of prayer and fasting, at the very back, there are five prayer points about our house, building our house physically and spiritually that we would like for you to be praying about. Hopefully, since the Thanksgiving family feast, those who are part of fullness have been praying already and will continue to do so. And again, if you'd like to give something before the end of the year, that'd be awesome. Uh, we'll take your money anytime, of course. Um, but uh, we are taking up a special offering at the end of our time of prayer and fasting at the very end of January to hopefully repair all of these items. Uh, and it's a long, long list of things that we need, we need to have done. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. This is our last sermon in this series on Hebrews. At least four or five times in this book, the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, we don't really know who it is, has asked us and commanded us, really, to consider Jesus, to think about Jesus as being greater than things in the Old Testament, the prophets, Moses, the angels, Uh, Anything that we can imagine are problems that Jesus is greater than. Uh, One of the things I believe is that many times we come to Christ and we know we're saved, we know we're going to heaven, but then as time goes along, if we're not careful, we begin not to consider Jesus. We then start looking at our problems, we start looking at our issues, we start looking at circumstances around us, and our eyes get fixed on those things rather than being fixed on Jesus. And and I want to say again, as I've said over the last 17 or 18 weeks, at every moment of your life, whatever you may be thinking about, whatever problem you have, whatever circumstance, whatever decision you have to make, whatever financial things are going on, Consider Jesus as greater than that. Because if Jesus is indeed greater than, then our faith is assured, our hope is assured, our future is assured. If not, then we're all, we're all in a world of hurt. In these last days is really the, the way the author of Hebrews is talking about the time from when Jesus came to when uh, he's going to come again. We're in between the times. These are the last days and have been for the last 2,000 years. God has spoken to us in his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Jesus is greater than because he has provided a way, as the children talked about and sang about this morning, the law and the prophets and all that was given to us. It showed us who God is and the greatness of God and gave us instructions on how to live, but It did nothing to actually save us. Jesus came in order to pave the way into the presence of God, and he is there with us now praying for us, um, mediating is the word, on our behalf. So he both saves us and he stays with us. And the author of Hebrews really spends about ten and a half chapters articulating all of what Jesus has done to make the way and how he's there with us. And then he changes and turns their perspective and says, Since he is all of these things, let us then boldly approach the throne of grace. Let us live as holy people. Let us live as people of faith. Now, in this final chapter, and that's the best I can do to review all of Hebrews over 17 weeks, but I want to say that he's 
going to, in this last chapter, you, you know how you're on a phone call with someone and you're talking to them and you suddenly realize your time is up, uh, you've got to go somewhere and do something, so you, you, you rip off about five things that you've got to say really quick that you should have been saying while you expounded on a lot of other stuff. That's what chapter 13 feels like in Hebrews. It feels like, oh, my time is up, boom, 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 boom. And it, it, it looks like this series of unrelated sayings, but in fact, I, I believe they all have to do what he's, with what he's spoken about in the other 12 chapters, and he's going to give us some practical instructions about what does it mean to be a community of grace. So I want to read the entire ch- chapter of Hebrews 13, if you'll follow along in your Bible Read 13 with me, or you can look up at the screen and follow along. It's a long passage, but there's a lot of rich stuff here. And then we're going to look at it kind of uh, together. What is, what is he trying to tell us? Here we go. Hebrews 13, verse 1 says, Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by, doing, by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we with confidence, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, 
I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that as we look at this chapter this morning, that you will, Spirit of God, enliven our hearts, enlighten us to the truth of what does it mean to be a community of grace. Lord, we, we believe, I believe, that you are not looking just for a person after your name. You are looking for a people who are called after your name. When people see us, may they see a people who love one another, who give to one another. May our hearts be encouraged today. In Jesus' name, amen. This looks a little bit like a to-do list, doesn't it? I mean, it's like all these things. As I was reading through, it just seems like one statement after another statement after another statement. And really, there are probably 20 sermons at least I could preach on this passage. But what I want to do today is I want to put, I, I believe you can really put almost everything he's saying into two headings, two groupings. And so I want to group them like this and look at what he's saying. But the, the overall theme of this chapter, I believe, is he is saying that we are never going to make it in life without community that we are a community. In essence, what we have here is the author of Hebrews telling us that the way we worship and experience God, now listen carefully to me, the way that we worship and experience God is by being involved in the community of grace. The kind of community that deeply loves one another and intentionally serves those outside of the community in a way that expresses the love of Jesus Christ. He's going to be so bold that in this chapter, and he's re-articulating some things he's already said, that the way we experience the glory of God is not, listen to me, not through rituals and observances, though they have their place because they're reminders of God, but it's through relationships between brothers and sisters in the church and with our neighbors in the city. Think about this. Before Jesus was crucified, what did he really spend his time doing? Now, you may be saying, well, he preached, he healed, he uh, went around doing good, uh, he did miraculous things. But I I would contend that if you really look at what Jesus did for the three years prior to his death, he was in the process of building community calling out people, bringing them to him, and bringing them together. He didn't write a book as if that would have mattered. But what he did was he wrote his name in the hearts of the people who were then knit together by him. He said things like this to his followers. You are a city set on a hill. You are a new society. You're a holy people, a new nation. Here's the truth about all of those statements. You can't be a city or a nation or a people by yourself. 
It takes more than one. It takes community. And I believe it's in essence saying that you don't worship God by merely going to a worship service. That really, you worship God by being deeply involved in the community of grace, of which, hopefully, you're a part. Sounds kind of hard, doesn't it? It may reorient the way we think. Because honestly, honestly, Americans are totally individualistic. We are fighting a culture and a way of thought that says it beats into us all the time. Just read the newspaper, read um, anything you want to, go to school. This is all about you. Everything is for you. Everything is for your happiness. Do whatever makes you happy. I mean, it's all about you. And you need to pursue whatever it is that's going to make you happy. It's all individualistic. And to say you can become the best possible you by yourself if you'll just really work hard at it. And the biblical model that Jesus is trying to proclaim could not be more different. It is just the opposite of that. He is saying you can never be all you want to be by yourself. As a matter of fact, the only way you can be the you that you're supposed to be is by being a part of a community of grace. You are, we are the body of Christ. Hand, foot, eye. You can't be a body by yourself because you're just a body part. So, I'm going to get um, uh, a little personal for me and with you. Um, and this is a great Christmas message, isn't it? Uh, that really, but if you think about it, this is the message of Christmas. Christ came for people. He came to minister the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In order that we could have life. But really so that we would be christ here today, his representatives as a group, his community of faith. So here are the two major categories, and I want to then look at the verses, some of the verses that he's got in, in this about uh, being the community of grace. There's a call to intensely love. Hebrews 13.1, here's the New Living Translation, it says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Practice brotherly love. This first main category is about loving those inside the community of grace. Loving each other as a brother and a sister. Lucian of Samosata, I think is how you say it, Samosata. He was a a guy from Syria, but he was a Greek intellectual. He lived in the second century, like 125 to 165 AD. So he was right at the tail end, right past the first century church. And he talked about the followers of Jesus Christ. And he said their founder persuaded them that they should be like brothers to one another. Therefore, they despise their own privacy and view all their possessions as common property. Now, we have been in the church so long that we see this phrase brother and sister uh, as just commonplace. But for this age, this was really scandalous. It was incredible to think of people from 
different socioeconomic racial backgrounds as your brother or sister. We use this phrase so lightly, but the meaning behind it in this New Testament sense is rich and powerful and convicting. I have a brother and a sister. If, if my brother or sister called me right now and said, Bart, I need you, I would pretty well drop anything I've got to go to help my brother and sister. Uh, I talk to my brother on a daily basis. I could tell my brother anything about what's going on in my life, and I pretty well do, about anything that's going on in my life, and I have this incredible assurance that he will never abandon me, that he'll love me, pray with me, walk me through it. I mean, there is a, when you start talking about brother and sister level of love, about needing one another, giving to one another, holding each other accountable, challenging one another, and then we look around at the relationships that we have, even in a church as good as fullness, we are way below that kind of level of loving. I was prepping this sermon this week, and uh, I, I went over to see TV about some stuff, and we were sitting there talking and doing some stuff. And I, and I realized, as I, TV and I, we always kind of talk about brothers or brothers. Um, and I was thinking, I, he really is my brother. I, there's nothing I wouldn't do for TV. And I believe the same thing is true in this way. I was meeting with a young lady in our church this week and uh, talking to her about some future things. And I basically said to her, if you were my daughter, physical daughter, here's what I would say to you. And then I started realizing, well, she is my daughter or sister. She's younger than me. So I said daughter, but sister, daughter. I mean, those kind of relationships where we really give to one another and love one another. You see, I I still think most churches see themselves as a club and not a family. I join, I pay my dues, I, I, uh, I keep my head down, I serve where I have to serve in order to keep the club moving forward. Um, I, I know the other people in the club, but when it comes right down to it, when things get tough, I'm out of there. I, I can choose any point to leave. I don't really have to give my life away. I... I I believe this about fullness. Until we get to the place where we see each other at the family relationship level and not the club level, we're never going to be close to what God has called us to be. And the commands that he gives here, I believe, are looking at this whole perspective of a community of grace that we intensely love one another. And some of you may say, well, when I give you the other category, you may think it could go in the other category, but I think they go, some of them go in both, but Let's look at it for this category first. Uh, Verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed be kept pure. Um, In other words, sexual purity. And then verse 5, he says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Both of these commands, by the way, are counter to the Greek and Roman culture. The Greek and Roman culture said, Be tight with your money and free in sex. Sound familiar? Be tight with your money, free in sex. The the command that he's saying is, look, within the community, within the relationships, within the family, be free with your money and pure in your sexual relationships. 
It's going against the, the culture of the day. But the gospel totally changes the way you view and use sex and money. Two of the most powerful influences in your life are sex and money. And the gospel totally changes our perspective of them. Verse 7 says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Then down in verse 17, he says another thing about leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I know it could appear to be self-serving for me to preach on these passages very long, but here's the idea. God does have an order within the family that he works. And he is really saying, look, pray for your leaders and support them and help them and help them move forward because it's really of no advantage to you if their life is miserable. If their life and work is miserable, your life and work is going to be miserable. Help them, pray for them, support them. Let it be a joy and not a burden. In other words, I think this may be just me, but one of the things I think he's saying is don't be a complainer, be a server. Help. Anybody complain can complain. I, I believe this. If you've got a mouth and a tongue, you are a, you are a potential complainer and maybe even an active complainer. If you're like me, I, I have no trouble finding fault in things. You? I mean, it's very easy. I mean, I can, I can view things and, wow, there's the mistake. There's the error. There's the problem. There's what needs to be fixed. So <laughs> I, like many of you, will be, I'll tell somebody, that really needs to be fixed. Well, if you see it, how about taking care of it? If you think it needs to be fixed, jump in there. The water's fine. It can really, everybody can help and pitch in. All right, I'm going to move on. Verse 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. He's going back to this idea about tabernacle worship and uh, ritual. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you listen to. Here's here's how I would apply it to today's settings. You, You are a part of fullness. And fullness, honestly, we've got a certain... Um, we, we don't have the corner on the market of truth, but we do have a certain uh, family way of doing things, correct? I mean, there is a certain theology, there's a certain way of doing things, and I believe it's Christ-glorifying. I believe it's edifying. But let me just say, out there, in different segments, there are all sorts of strange teachings, There's all sorts of stuff out there. And with the way the internet and things can be viewed and things can be read, there is no shortage of people sending me stuff uh, that and asking me questions. There's a lot of strange teachings out there. And as your pastor, I just want to say, be careful. Be careful where you go. And then especially be careful of going out to some teaching um, not saying all teaching, there's tons of great teaching out there, tons of it, but there's also the fringes. And be careful about what you say, oh, I want to take this back into here. Run it past the elders, run it past the leaders so that they can help distinguish. Because some things that are actually even good may not be within the vision context that God has given us as a local congregation and body to be a part of. 
Anyway, don't be carried away. Don't get back into tabernacle worship. Be careful. Pray for your community and leaders. Let me tell you, I'm begging you, begging you to pray for me. I don't know if you do or don't, but I'm really, really asking for your prayers in these days. Hebrews 13, 18 says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. And that is my desire, to have a clear conscience and to live honorably in every way. Pray for your leaders. Several other verses, but I just wanted to highlight these so that we can keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Love intensely. Look around at the people in this place. Do we love each other intensely? Second point is this, the call to intentionally serve. The call to intentionally serve, verse 2, says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. This, this idea, he, he's basically saying, love brothers and sisters, love those, and show hospitality to those outside the church, to strangers, to, to, to those who are outside the community of grace. It's quite a balance, and it's really what, one of the things the children were speaking on. It's what our prayer guide is saying, love God, love each other, love those outside. It's this balance, and if this balance isn't in proper order, we're out of balance. I mean, that seems obvious, right? Uh, that if we're not loving each other well and serving intentionally those outside the body, reaching out with the, the, the love of Christ, giving a cup of water in his name, then we are, we're out of balance. Many churches do one of these two things really well. They either love each other really well, but don't serve, or they serve really well, but they don't love each other very well. We want to fully embrace what God has in this place. By the way, This is just as radical as the idea in the Greek and Roman time of loving the people inside the community of grace as brothers and sisters. The idea of serving strangers and to ministering to them with no kind of thought of a return was just as radical. I mean, the idea in the Greek and Roman culture was this. Um, Let's say I I really want to uh, move my life forward. I want to become somebody. And so what I would do is I would find somebody who could open up the door that would help me become somebody. And then I would take small steps. Maybe they're too far away from me. uh, Let's say it's like Steve Couch is uh, the person who's really going to help me. But I really can't get to Steve, so I don't know Steve. But I can get to John, and through John I can get to Mark, and through Mark I can get to Dan, and by Dan I can eventually get to Steve. So I'm going to start with this view of getting John to help me, and then Mark, and then Dan to my ultimate goal. But it was all about this reciprocal stuff. I'm going to befriend him so he can help me. It's the whole patronage system of the Greek and Roman society. And the way they viewed things was not to get to strangers, to help them without any thought in return, but let me just help those who will in turn help me. Now, we're not that much better. Let me make friends with people that are like me. Let me make friends with people that will probably befriend me back. Let me ask someone to dinner who will probably then ask me to dinner. Let me, let's, let's work this in a reciprocal way. But this command is to say, look, 
love strangers who may never give you anything in return. Look at these commands. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, some look at this thought verse and think, oh, well, he's talking about Christians who are in prison or Christians who are suffering, which might be part of the implication, but he's, I think it's broader. He's saying, look at those who are in prison as if you were in prison, all of them. Look at those who are being mistreated as if you're being mistreated. Now, some people would look at this verse again, and they would just totally focus on social justice. Social justice is important. It is not the only thing. It all has to be done in the balance and context of the love of Jesus Christ. But many churches lose the idea of suffering with those who are suffering. We don't have to be afraid about this. Many people won't do this because they're afraid. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Many people allow fear to be. If it's not about reciprocal stuff or not knowing, it's then about fear dictating what they do. Where do you go to get this done? Where do you go to minister life to people outside? Well, you got to go outside. Here's the verse. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now this is, I I could preach 10 sermons on this one passage. It is incredibly, incredibly rich. There, There are several different tiers here. The first is this, that Jesus became our sin, and was cast outside the city of Jerusalem. Here's the idea. In, in the Old Testament, they had this, this practice where the high priest would bring a goat in, and they would lay hands on the head of the goat, and then they would say, this, is the, this goat has all the sins of the people on the goat, and we blame the goat for everything. And so we're putting all the sins on the goat, then they would just They'd they'd kill a a lamb, but then they'd send the goat outside the camp. Just let it go out into the desert to die. And that's where we get the term, by the way, scapegoat. Let's blame the goat. Uh, There's a scapegoat. Somebody has to blame, so we're blaming the goat. Let's put him outside the city. That's the idea of Jesus taking the sins of all of us. He goes outside the city. It's a reference to probably Golgotha or Calvary or where he was put on the cross. He went outside the city. He was put to death. For our sins. But there's another level here where the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, get outside. Get outside. Where's Jesus? Where where, where is Jesus? Well, he's in our hearts, but most of us in the church think Jesus is in the church. Could it be that one of the things Jesus is saying to us is, I'm out there. If you want to find me, Love each other intensely and then go out to serve. Go out to serve. Because Jesus is building a city which is a reflection of the days to come. I I don't know that it's all true. He's in the church. He's outside the church. He's everywhere. But the idea of getting not so locked into ourselves is really important. Verse 6. And do not forget to do good and to share with others 
for with such sacrifices God is pleased. The way up is really down, serving. The way to be truly rich is to give it away. The way to be truly powerful is to serve. The way to get angels into your life is what? Serve. Serve serve people. Because in serving people, you may have entertained angels and not not even known it. I read this past week about a soldier. It, it's really from a Max Lucado book. I read it years ago and was recalling it. But I was reading of a, a soldier who was in line at the commissary, the grocery store of, on, on a base. And he only had two items. And he goes up to the counter to buy his two items. And the cashier says, hey, pick something out of this bowl. Draw out of this bowl. And he said, well, how come? And she said, well, if you get the lucky one, then your groceries are free. And so he said, okay. So he reaches in. Sure enough, he draws the lucky number. But he only had two items. So he turns to the lady behind him whose grocery basket is overflowing with groceries. And he says, honey, look, we won. (laughs) Now, for some of you, that offends your sensibilities because you're like, that doesn't seem quite... But do you know what? That is the grace of God. The grace of God gave you something you never deserved, something you should have never had, and it is not just for you. It is to be shared with the world around you. It is to reach outside of yourself in order to be light. Into marvelous light I'm running, out of darkness, out of shame. What are we supposed to do with that light? For many of us, it becomes like a tanning bed. Oh, I just love this light. I mean, really, I'm just going to sit here and love this light. But this is my tanning bed. Listen, the light that God has given you is to be a city set on a hill that everyone can see, to go outside to, to, to see the world in love and grace. So what I want to do is give you very quickly a couple of practical instructions for us at Fullness uh, that I've just kind of written down in light of who we are that I think will help us. So if you're a guest of fullness, these will still apply to you. But if you're a part of fullness, these are some things I think, I believe, we can be better at. I mean, I wrote these for us. You with me? So maybe I just wrote them for me. First point uh, on these practical instructions is to open your home. Open up your home to those inside the church and to those outside the church. When was the last time you had a neighbor or even someone who's a part of fullness over for dinner. Now, let me just say this. I know immediately what some of you are thinking. Not all of you, but some of you are thinking of this. Well, when's the last time anybody had me over? Or you're thinking, my home or my apartment is not good enough. And here's what I would say. Get over it. Get over it. This is not just about you. This is not, most people, when they come into your apartment or your home, it really doesn't, they just want to be with you. They just want to be, you're the only one making judgment statements about your apartment or your home. Just have them over. And this passage is basically saying, even if they never have you over for dinner, serve anyway, love anyway, bless anyway. Eventually, by the way, if we all start opening our homes to people within fullness, we'll all get invited out sometime. We'll all have an opportunity. What about your neighbor, the person next door? 
When's the, when's the last time you invited, do you even know their names? The person next door. I, I have to be honest with you. Um, we had a longtime neighbor and then another neighbor. And then in the last year or so, we've had a, another neighbor move right next door to me. And I have no idea what their name is. I mean, I've seen him in the yard. I think it's Mark or Michael or I, I can't remember. It's something. I've seen him in the yard. I've talked to him a couple of times, but I don't really know him. And I was saying to Kathy, you should be ashamed for not asking them over. <laughs> I said, we got to get to know these people who are next door to us. We've just been so busy. We got a ton of excuses of why we don't know them. But one of the reasons is because we've never opened our home. And really, I know this is partly countercultural to the way our society works. Neighbors, you, they don't have each other over hardly anymore. We'll break that. I was uh, talking to a lady last night, a friend of, a, of ours who came by. And her parents live in the Rocky Ridge neighborhood somewhere. And um, she said her mom and dad have had a Christmas breakfast for their neighborhood for 40 years. 40 years. Well, first of all, who lives in the same house 40 years anymore, right? But for 40 years, they've hosted a breakfast for all their neighbors. Tell me what that would do for your neighborhood. If you just had a breakfast, just pick 10 homes in your neighborhood. For the next couple of years, we're going to have a Christmas breakfast. Everybody who lives here can, can come over to our house and have breakfast together. Open up your home. I, I believe this one thing could change the whole culture of a place, of a neighborhood, a church. All right, I'm, I'm getting stuck, I'm, and I'm out of time. Invite people to church. Love your neighborhood by serving them. Serving them, invite them into your home, but then invite them to this home. Invite them to church. I believe the presence of God is here and that people's lives are changed in the presence of God. Besides, it's starting to look really pretty, isn't it? You get some stonework and it looks nice. I believe that they'll experience the presence of God here. Invite people to come to church. Then take them to lunch. Serve them. Go help or lead a small group. Go to a small group. Help a small group. Lead a small group. If, if, you, if you come just to Sunday morning and aren't a part of a smaller community of grace where people really know you and hold you accountable, then something is really missing. We help you by making small groups. Now, some of you, some of you are working in a small group context even though you don't go to a fullness small group. That's fine. I, I, but the idea is this. You've got to have other people in your life. You cannot go this way alone. You can't. We all need each other. Again, and I'm going to say this. I'm just going to go on out there. Um, if you're not in a small group of some sort, then you're just part of a club. You're not part of the family. You may think I'm condemning, but it may not be a fullness small group, but if you're not in a context of a community of grace, then what you have here among a couple of hundred people, this is just a club to you. Yeah, I, I said it. Volunteer to serve. Volunteer to serve. Usher, teach, work at the welcome counter, help fix the building, work with Alpha, be engaged in the outreach ministry. Take a turn in the nursery. Help with the hospitality ministry. There are tons of places to serve in the context of the body and outside. When you see a need, 
expressed in the bulletin? Why not? Why not pray and say, God, do you want me to do this? Rather than your first reaction being, I hope they find somebody. Give your life away. Finally, care, care for the needy. Care for the needy. And this is a big category. And you can't care for all the needy. It's, it, it's not within your ability to do. No one person can do it. I don't care if you're Bill Gates and have his kind of money. You can't care for all the needy. But if we all do something to help care for people in need, then think of the difference and the impact in this world that we would make. Get involved in prison ministry. We don't actively have a prison ministry right now at Fullness, but there are tons of places. I, I would even say this. There, there are tons of churches that are much bigger than us that can do things in social ministries and have well-established social ministries going on. Go, go help them be a part of that. Now, don't go to their church. We want you to stay here. But there's things they can offer we can't offer. Go, go be a part of a prison ministry somewhere. Or maybe God is putting it on your heart to reactivate the prison ministry here at Fullness. Do that. Help feed the poor. Go volunteer in ministry that teaches people to read. We can help you find a place that does that. See Amelia and go help with the Christ Health Center. She can point you to the people in charge there, can help over there in the Dream Center uh, with Church of the Highlands. Call Pastor AJ. Uh, we'll help you hook you up with Pastor AJ to, to go work in Woodlawn. Become a foster parent. Uh, help minister to those who are widows. There are tons of opportunities to help, to help the needy. Christmas, Christmas is about loving and giving. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. Don't hold on to your love. Give it away. Love each other intensely. And then let us serve others intentionally. Find a practical way to minister the love of Jesus Christ. I want to pray for us. I, I, I know this is, I've stepped on my toes, maybe yours, um, to talk about what it is we need to do. But isn't it interesting that in this closing of the book of Hebrews, where he says over and over and over and over and over and over again, consider Jesus greater than, that when you get to the point that Jesus is actually greater than every problem, what is it in turn should elicit from you? Love for others, love for those in the body, serving those outside. The proper response of Jesus coming into our lives and forgiving our sins is to give our lives away. This goes against us. I mean, honestly, I, I, most of the time I'd rather sit in my house, read a book, than to give my life away. But by the love of Jesus Christ, I'm praying that all of us together will take this love and minister this grace to the world around us. Lord, we thank you that the message of Christmas is that you left a glorious throne in order that we could have life. Lord, I pray, thanking you for this place. I, I, I love fullness, and I thank you for this people in this building and this place, but God, this isn't 
just about us. This is about us giving our lives away to a world around us. Lord, I thank you. I bless you. And I I pray right now that you would change our perspective, change our hearts, change our way of thinking. Uh, Lord, I pray that we'd be freer with our finances and our time and our lives and that we would give ourselves away. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I, I thank you. Spirit of God, I just pray that if anything I've said this morning is not of you, it would just fall away and just be gone. But the truths of who we are as a community of grace would really permeate our lives so that we can be held up like that jewel, that shining jewel to, to reflect the glory of Christ to the world around us. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Stand up with me if you would. I'm going to ask our ministry teams to come down at the front. We're going to have a, just a closing song while this.